Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for December 1st, 2023 is 1 Corinthians chapters 9 through 11. Paul seems to be defending himself, his role as an apostle, one who is sent as a master builder who is planting seeds and even watering the seeds others planted when it comes to the gospel. Obviously, the seed in this analogy is the word of God. And Paul seems to be defending himself against accusations of not being qualified or perhaps not even being called. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? He writes, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? How many people can say that? And yet it was well known. Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians when Jesus himself appeared to Paul, blinded him for a period of a few days. Ananias, who was another believer, had to go and lay hands on Saul. Many people had witnessed Saul after his conversion. They knew who this guy was. It was well documented. And nobody could question his pedigree when it comes to ministry or his qualifications for being in ministry. Unlike today, where people can buy followers on Instagram and Twitter and all of the other places, we have paid advertising, we have video editing to make people seem much more eloquent than they are. There's even CGI tricks to fake miracles. There are even people much more nefarious who are tapped into a witchcraft type of a power, and they're actually able to do things. Why would Jesus have said in Matthew 7.21, to people who were claiming to be his followers, I never knew you get away from me, you workers of iniquity, or you evildoers, if these people had not actually been doing things. They said to Jesus in response, haven't we cast out demons in your name? Haven't we healed the sick? Haven't we done these great things? I never knew you, Jesus will say. So it's not a bad thing for people in the church to question authority, to question their leaders, to say, do you have my best interest at heart? Are you actually serving God or not? Paul calls out other leaders and says, don't follow these people because they're not walking in a manner worthy. They're not preaching a true gospel. And then Paul brings it back to, look at what I've done. Look at the byproduct of what I've accomplished. Look at yourselves. Aren't you guys yourselves following Jesus because in some way, the things that I've done, the things that I've said? Did I ever take money from you, even though I had the right to take money from you? I mean, there's this spiritual law that was given in the Old Testament about not muzzling an ox while it's treading out the grain. Does God care so much about oxen? Or is he trying to teach us a spiritual lesson? When somebody is working for you, like an ox is, shouldn't you feed them? Shouldn't you clothe them? Shouldn't you take care of their worldly needs? When somebody is investing their time and labor 
in order to give you spiritual things, should you not bless them with physical things? Paul says, even though that's true, I never took a dime from you. Why are you questioning me? I'm totally free, and yet I've made myself a slave to you and to all people. To the Jews, I've become like a Jew. To the Gentiles, I've become like a Gentile. To the weak, I have become weak in order to win all of these people by every possible means. I'll do whatever it takes, Paul writes, to win some. His life was devoted to advancing the kingdom, and of course, people judged him for it. Just goes to show you there's absolutely nothing you can do to please everyone, regardless of how perfect you are and how hardworking you are and how earnest and sincere you are. People will always question you. Let's be careful to make a righteous judgment. Let's not be like the people of the world who jump to conclusions, who assume the worst. And yet, as Jesus said, let's be wise as serpents, not being taken advantage of, not following false teachers, making a righteous judgment, carefully inspecting the fruit of every ministry, and seeing if indeed God is at work there. Chapter 10, Paul begins using examples from Israel's past and trying to show the people that those things existed as lessons for us today. The Israelites leaving Pharaoh's rule in Egypt walked under the cloud of God's glory, and they were baptized into that cloud, and they were baptized into Moses through the Red Sea. Now, it's interesting because we know that baptism means immersion, and yet they didn't get wet crossing the Red Sea, but they were immersed into Moses as they chose either to die or to follow Moses. And yet God was not pleased with many of them because they were complaining. They were saying they were better off back in Egypt. Most of them were not able to enter into the promised land, but they perished in the desert, wandering around for 40 years on a trip that should have taken a couple weeks. Chapter 10, verse 6 says, These things took place as an example for us so that we would not desire the same evil things they did. Let's learn from the mistakes of other people, especially when God is here very clearly telling us, learn from their mistakes. Don't be like them. You don't have to perish in the wilderness. Maintain a joyful and grateful attitude and you will enter into the promised land, which is rest. It's available for us. And we get there through our heart attitude and accepting Jesus Christ, who is grace and truth. Don't make the mistake of believing the lie that it's too hard, that you can't resist temptation. Verse 13 says, No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man, and God is faithful. He will make a way out for you. There's always a way out. No one ever has the excuse to be able to say, I was tempted by God beyond which I could bear. No, there's always a way out. We have no excuse. And yet, even in that, God is so quick to forgive. 
in Christ, our penalty is paid. The debt for our sin has been satisfied. There is nothing to stop us from entering into God's grace and his rest. We do it simply by saying, help me to do better. Change my desires, Father. I am torn between the desires of my flesh. I know the things in my head are bad. Please change me. Make me like you. Help me to desire pure things and good things. And God is faithful and he will do that. He changes us. So in verse 14, flee from immorality and idolatry. Run from it. Some would say, but we're free in Christ. True. Verse 23 says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Let's focus on the things that are beneficial. And just because you have liberty in Christ doesn't mean you should exercise that liberty, especially if it is drawing you away from him. Verse 31 says, whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, do everything for the glory of God. Chapter 11 is hotly contested about head coverings, and a lot of people take this very literally, and they think that women must have long hair, and women must wear a scarf over their head, and even men, when they pray, they must adorn themselves a certain way, and it's shameful for men to have long hair. And there's perhaps some cultural truth to that, but let's not get so lost in the munitia of one word or one interpretation that we miss the point. Chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. The same way I live, you will glorify God if you live just like me. Can any of us really say that? So it's in that context where Paul is saying, follow me, be like me. He says, now I praise you. Because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Again, the context is Paul's leadership. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man. So Jesus is the head. And so considering the context of verse 1, as Paul's talking about his leadership, and now he's saying the head of every believer is Christ, in the same way the man is the head of the woman. Obviously, it's the leader, and it's not in the sense that the man is more important than the woman at all. No. If anything, the cornerstone is the foundation. It's the thing she would step on or the thing that she would be built upon. God is the head of Christ. Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head, in verse 4. That just confuses me because it seems like we're talking about leadership and now all of a sudden we're talking about a head covering or hair and the word on that preposition if you look at it in the greek its actual definition is down against or to his head so every man who prays or prophesies with something against his head dishonors his head so it's not talking about what he puts on his head. It's not talking about wearing a hat. It's talking about having something against his leadership. By the, the greater context of these two chapters, Paul is saying, am I not an apostle? Didn't I serve you with everything I have? Did I take anything from you? 
aren't you the very fruit of my ministry? And yet you have something against me, and now you're dishonoring me. How can you go off and pray to the one I introduced you to when you have something against me? Jesus said, if you go and lay your gift on the altar and realize that you have an offense against your brother, go be reconciled to to your brother. Leave your sacrifice there. Go and take care of this relationship because the body of Christ is all about a heaven down relationship and our affections and praises going back up to him in this vertical sense. But also as important is the horizontal where we are to be connected with and loving one another. So people take this paragraph and make it all about women wearing veils and men having short hair, but it's really talking about respecting leadership. How are you honoring your cornerstone? How are you honoring the one who brought you in to the faith? Certainly the way we adorn ourselves and how we style our hair or don't, how we cut our hair or don't, is symbolic, but it's not the primary meaning of this passage. In verse 17 of chapter 11, Paul starts talking about the Lord's Supper and the celebration of that. Now, remember, the meetings primarily where these people were getting together was in homes. These churches almost exclusively were meetings in people's houses. Could you imagine going to a potluck at somebody's home, not having anything to bring, and because you didn't bring anything, because you just didn't have the resources, nobody gave you anything to eat? Doesn't that just feel wrong? But that's what was taking place. Some of you people were getting together and feasting and gorging yourselves. Others were going hungry. Some of you were getting drunk and others had nothing to drink. It should not be this way, friends. In the same way that Jesus took his own body and broke it and gave it for us and poured out his own blood for us for the remission of our sins, so it should be as we share with one another the resources we have If Jesus, our great high priest, gave his very body and his very blood to meet the needs of those of us he loved, how much more should we be willing to give of our resources out of our abundance? We're not dying to feed one another. So then, in verse 27, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. Whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Traditionally, Christians view this passage as one meaning we have to evaluate ourselves for sin. We must repent of all sin before we take the sacraments of the communion, the bread and the cup. And in a sense, that's definitely true. But the greater context of this passage is not about something you do in a church with a bunch of strangers as a priest says to you certain words or recites even this passage of Scripture. The context is all about the relationship with other believers and making sure that we're putting the needs of others before ourselves, as Paul was following Christ's example of laying down his own life for the sake of those he loved. 
Of course, I recognize this is not the traditional teaching of 1 Corinthians 10 or 11, but it's the way I see it. And I certainly always invite your feedback, your questions, your comments. Even when you disagree, we owe it to one another to share our opinions. And by all means, friends, don't take my word for it. Search the scriptures for yourself and let me know what you think. God bless you. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We'll see you tomorrow. And for those of you who are interested, I am a real estate agent. I help people buy and sell real property as a strategic listing specialist and as a senior real estate specialist. If you're thinking about buying property or selling, love to interview for the position of helping you with that transition. And if you are a real estate professional, we would love to have a conversation with you about partnering with Call It Closed International Realty. Let us help you take your business to the next level. Thank you for your consideration.